0: Everyone, wow! I'm so excited to be here. I've really been looking forward to speaking here. Uh, is this still working? If I can still hear me, okay. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. So, for those of you who may not know me, I'm Rebecca, and I've been coming to CMP since I moved over from New Zealand in the middle of 2019. So quite a while now. You know what? I'm going to swap to this because it's. There we go. I was pushing the wrong button. Okay, let's start again. The reason I like having this is because I do have to use my hands, but we will make it work. So, hey, everyone. I'm Rebecca. I have moved over from New Zealand in July of 2019, and CMP has been my home since then. I work at Jews for Jesus, which is an international ministry reaching out to the Jewish people around the world, And we happen to be based in Bondi Junction here in Australia. Um, Our base is in Bondi Junction. And you guys have probably all seen our shop, which is just down Bronte Road. It's got this little sign above it, Jews for Jesus, books and gifts. And some of you were in our shop last night for Robin's lovely um, art exhibition. So before I start and talk to you guys about Passover, I want to just take a few moments to tell you about Jews for Jesus and what we're doing here in Australia. And also, I'm going to start by showing you a short five-minute video that just gives you a little bit of a taste, a little bit of an overview of what Jews for Jesus is doing around the world for those of you who may not be that familiar with the ministry itself. So let's see if I can get this. Going to work. Ah, there we go. So I'll just get the sound. Okay.
1: When we think of Israel and realizing that less than 1% of Israelis believe in Jesus, and certainly that's true here in the United States as
2: well. A lot of uh, Jewish people are confused about Jesus. They're under the impression that it's not anything for Jewish people.
3: We're accustomed to and conditioned to just dismissing the whole issue of Jesus as irrelevant. But Jews for Jesus makes a statement, wait a minute, no, he is relevant to us.
2: We want these people to hear about Jesus and we want them to experience the hope, the love, the the transformation that the gospel can bring.
3: Israel as a people received only one call to be an evangelistic light to the nations so the Jewish people will hear the gospel as the Jewish missionaries can cover the earth with the good news that the world so desperately needs to hear.
1: It's urgent. What we do, we need to do now. We are going and telling in Jews for Jesus in all of the cities that we are around the world, 14 countries, 24 cities, and each one provides different kinds of opportunities. Go and Tell is a ministry of proclamation. It's
2: what we've been doing since Jews for Jesus began. We share the gospel with non-believing
3: Jewish people
2: times the first time that anyone has ever heard about Jesus is in a conversation with Jewish
3: people with Jews for Jesus. I live for the day when there will be waves of Jewish believers in Jesus flooding the world with the gospel out in the forefront fulfilling the call because the call has not been revoked.
2: Come and See is our ministry philosophy around inviting people in to belong to a community where they can experience what it means to be Jewish and believe in Jesus.
1: We want to create space for Jewish seekers and in the process tell them how Jesus taught us to live and work through these issues
2: for ourselves. We open up our houses, we open up our offices, we open up our coffee shops to come and interact with the living Messiah. They find community, they find home, and they find hope. It's not just the message that we're preaching, it's also how we live every single day.
1: Love and Serve is the newest way we're reaching out to our Jewish people and doing so
2: as believers in Yeshua. Israel is a place with a lot of social ills. It's, it's a really, really hard place to live. One of the areas that we, we really wanted to reach in Jerusalem was the, the drugs, the alcohol, the prostitution, the homeless. And we're able to really find amazing breakthroughs there.
1: Loving and serving others is a natural way of living out the gospel.
2: Jewish people hear the gospel, then those people, they're in South Africa, they're in Australia, they're in the United States. they're They're bringing the gospel wherever they are.
1: We're relentlessly pursuing God's heart. We are relentlessly pursuing God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. So what a privilege it is to take what the Bible teaches about life, about problems, about this broken world, and say, look, God has something to say here. And that's the word of God that is so powerful. And people open up their hearts to the Lord.
0: slideshow one sec there we go so that video just gave you guys a little overview a little taster of what Jews for Jesus is doing around the world at the moment our focus is a lot in Ukraine and actually our Ukrainian team are now in Poland um, helping a lot of refugees and a lot of Jews for Jesus crew from around the world are now in Poland helping with the refugees so that's a lot of the focus now Okay, yay, it's working. All right, so, because after my Passover talk, we're going to lead straight into communion, I decided I want to just give you the little ministry talk first, so we can sort of go straight from contemplating about the Passover straight into communion. So... Jews for Jesus here in Australia. We're down Bronte Road. We've got our book and gift shop. And if you haven't popped in already, I would love to see your friendly faces there. I often see people from church in there. But you might be wondering, why do you have a book and gift shop? Well, it's just just a place where Jewish people can come in and ask questions. It's a bit of a community hub, really. We hold events there. Last night, we held a wonderful Um, Yeah, yeah, let's give Robin a round of applause. (laughs) So this this is our newest thing that we're doing at the shop. We have a little room out the back that we've turned into a little art space and we are partnering with local artists and they get to use the room for a month Uh, We have Jen booked in, so keep your eyes eyes peeled for when she's going to have one. And this is just a way for us to bless the community, bless the local art community, but also to have another space to invite people to. So last night we had a lot of unbelieving Jewish people come. And it's just, it's wonderful. We're just looking for more and more ways where we can invite people to come and be in our place and create community. Every week we have non-believing Jewish people walk into our shop and say, "Um, what is Jews for Jesus? What is this all about? And it just creates such an amazing space to be able to say, well, Jesus himself was Jewish. Have you ever read the New Testament? We love to give away free New Testaments. Uh, Because for a Jewish person, considering Jesus is just not on their grid, They they think Jesus is not for them. Uh, This was the same for my family. All my dad's side of the family are Jewish and growing up he was not religious at all and he certainly didn't consider Jesus. But someone in Jews for Jesus shared the gospel with his family uh, with my grandparents and they came to faith in Jesus. So I just want to tell you one story. We have a lovely Jewish man who lives across the road from the shop and he's been coming in regularly every week for a few years and he will argue with us and we'll tell him about Jesus and then a couple of months ago he actually came and he said guys I believe in Jesus now I had a dream And I really believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he's for me. And not long after that, yeah, amen, we were able to baptize him on a scorching hot day in Watson's Bay. So praise God. And he's now coming in weekly. um, And my brother is taking him through some Bible studies. And yeah, we were able to disciple him. So that is just a little taster of who comes into the shop and we're creating space to have these conversations with Jewish people. Other things I do is I get to go to churches and I get to do this kind of thing. I get to help um, Christians to see the Jewish roots of their faith and to see how, you know, guys, we have communion regularly. Well, communion started off as a Passover. The Last Supper was a Passover, and let me show you how it points to Jesus. So this is the kind of things I get to do, which is very fun, and yeah, it's great. I also host Shabbat dinners where I can invite Jewish people to come. We actually host these monthly in Watson's Bay, and this, I'm just going to promo this, guys, this would be an amazing thing for you guys to invite Jewish friends to. Say, hey, we're going to the Shabbat dinner. It's in Watson's Bay. It's close by would you like to come? So, this is another thing that you can invite Jewish people to and evangelise. Yeah. Shabbat. Oh, good question. So, Shabbat is a special Friday night dinner that uh, Jewish families celebrate every Friday night. So, This is something that I grew up celebrating with my family. We will set the table all nice on a Friday night and we'll have a lovely dinner together. And this is something that we're doing on a bigger scale in Watson's Bay that you can invite people to. So come and ask me and I will give you the details for that. Um, Now, the work... ...that we do at Juice for Jesus is not possible without Christians jumping on board and partnering. So, if you guys feel like, wow, this is a local ministry. This is something we would like to get more involved in. This is something we would like to pray into. I would love to invite you to fill in the little form that you have on your seats and pop that in the offering or hand it to me after the service, because this is a way for you to stay. We will stay in touch with you. We send out, it's just a couple of emails a month. not going to spam your inbox. And just to let you know, this is what's going on. This Jewish person came along to the event. Could you be praying for them? Um, So yeah, that's just an invitation to you guys to be able to partner with us. I've also bought some products from the shop, some resources for you guys to look at. Just wanted to promo this book. Mere Evangelism is our new bestseller in the shop. And it is 10 insights from C.S. Lewis to help you share your faith. So come and have a look. It's just out there. Come and have a chat to me afterwards. I also bought these magazines along because I thought, we're in the eastern suburbs. Everyone must know a Jewish person, have a Jewish neighbor, um, colleague. These are little magazines that we publish and we send out to Jewish people. So grab yourself some, they're free, and give them to the Jewish people that you know. They're just, um, they're little articles about Jewish life. And I thought you guys, um, that could be a really good thing for you guys to grab and hand out. So that is that all done. Let's get into Christ in the Passover. So I had the privilege of sharing this here at um, Church in the Marketplace to the youth last year, which was really, really fun. And thank you so much for inviting me back again. It is an absolute privilege to be here. And you might think, oh, some of us, you know, we've already heard the story of Passover. You know, we, we know what it's all about. Well, God commanded Israel to celebrate the Passover every year, and it was all about remembering. He said, do it every year. This is to remind you of my goodness. And growing up, I celebrated Passover with my family every year. So this is a little picture of Passover with my family. We're missing a few family members. It's just me and my bro at home this year. Um, But this is something that we did, and we remembered, oh, this is what God did for us So I'm so glad that Church in the Marketplace has invited me back again, so I can have the privilege of reminding you. You might be able to see in the pictures, mum decorates the table for Passover in a bit of an interesting way. She likes to put out the plagues of Egypt. So we've got here some plastic snakes and flies. We've got golf balls to symbolize the hail. So it's just remembering all over the place. And I always think it's funny because it's like the Passover table is strange enough as it is without little plastic bugs. But that's just a little glimpse into how my family celebrates Passover. So, the story of Passover itself is the central narrative of the Jewish people. It's a story of redemption, it's my story, but it's also your story, and it's a story that points us to the gospel itself. So, maybe you're wondering what has the gospel got to do with Passover? Passover is Jewish. Well, Jesus himself was Jewish, and today, as we look at the story of Passover together, I think we will be able to see the story of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. So I'm going to start by reading a scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 16, the first three verses. Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt." Now, God commanded Israel to eat bread made without yeast for seven days. And Passover marks the beginning of a seven-day holiday that is often known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, Jewish people don't eat any bread. They just eat something called matzah. So you guys who live around here might have noticed in the kosher section a lot more boxes of matzah. And that's because we're coming up to Passover And we don't eat any bread with yeast. So, why no yeast? Well, our ancestors, in their haste to leave Egypt, had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. In ancient baking, or, you know, in fancy modern baking, a small bit of fermented dough is added to the main batch. And this is what caused it to rise and puff up. This is what caused the holes in it and the sour taste that we call sourdough. And some biblical authors use leaven or yeast as a symbol for sin. And it's easy to see why. Just like leaven, a little bit of sin in our lives puffs us up and causes us to be prideful and full of holes and leaves our soul sour. And so at Passover, we remove all the leaven from our home as a symbol of removing all the sin from our lives. And it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul applies this very ceremony when he says in 1 Corinthians 5-7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, once cleansed of leaven, the home is ready for a Passover Seder. Now, Seder means order because the Passover meal follows a specific order of service, and this is found in a book called the Haggadah. So, I have with me an example. This is a Haggadah, but don't worry, guys, we are not going to work through the whole book. If you came to Passover at my home, you'll be there for a few hours. We read through the whole book. But today, we're just going to read through excerpts, and you'll find these in the little brochures on your seats, so... Passover begins with the woman of the house lighting the candles. So I'm going to light the candles, and then I'm going to say the prayer in Hebrew, and then I'm going to invite all you ladies in the congregation to join me in saying it in English. So let me just light the candles. very beautiful candlesticks by the way. So let me just say the prayer in Hebrew and then all the ladies can join me in saying it in English all the ladies, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. And I love that the honor of kindling the candles belongs to the woman, because the Messiah, the light of the world, came into the world through the seed of a woman. And speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he foretold and said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, a light to light the nations and the glory of my people Israel. Now there are four acts in the drama of the Passover Seder. So we fill and drink from our cups four times. So, the first cup on our table is called the Kiddush cup or the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of plagues. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And it's this cup that is the focal point of our entire ceremony. And the fourth cup is the cup of Hallel, or the cup of praise. So, what we do is we take the first cup. So the head of the household takes the first cup. This, my dad would do this, and he says a prayer over it. So I'm going to say it in Hebrew, and then I'll invite all the men to say it along with me in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Amen. So that's the first cup. And then he hands it around and everyone drinks. Now, we always follow, at the Jewish table, we always follow the uh, drinking from the fruit of the vine with eating bread of the earth. But you guys remember, tonight we don't have any bread. We only have matzah. So there's something else on the Passover table that I'm going to talk through. This is a matzah tosh. And inside we have three layers of matzah. So the head of the household takes out the middle layer of matzah and then he says a prayer over it. Let me try the once one-handed. There we go. Okay. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then what he does with the matzah is he breaks it in half. And then he wraps it in a white cloth. Okay, let's do this. And then what happens is this wrapped piece of matzah is hidden. And we need to find it later on in the ceremony in order for things to continue. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Let's pretend I've hidden this in the house somewhere. Oh, and now I've lost my slide. Hang on. There we go. Okay, and because it is hidden, it is called the afikomen, which means that which comes later. So now the seder has begun, and the youngest child in the family comes forward and asks traditional four questions. So the first question, why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we only eat unleavened bread? And those of us who know the story of Passover are obliged to respond. And so we say, this is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, when he provided the sacrifice of the Passover lamb for my family. Now, my ancestors were instructed to take the blood of a spotless lamb and to paint it on the doorposts of their houses. And those who obey God's command were spared the ravages of the tenth plague of Egypt, the death of every firstborn son. And when the Lord saw the blood on the doorposts of their home, death was forced to pass over. And that's where we get the name Passover from, or Pesach in Hebrew. And in the same way that my ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of lambs to the doorposts of their home, we as believers in Jesus have to apply in faith the blood of Messiah to the doorposts of our hearts. Now, the child asks three more questions. On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we only eat bitter herbs? On all other nights, we're not required to dip the herbs, like, twice. Why on this night do we dip them twice? On all other nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? So, the thing about Passover is it's more than just a reenactment. It's more than just a story. It's a reenactment. It's basically like having a play at your dinner table. On the first Passover our ancestors ate their meal with their staff in their hand, their sandals on their feet, ready to leave Egypt at a moment's notice. But today at Passover, we relax and recline at the table. And this reminds us that we're no longer slaves. We are free because you see in ancient Middle Eastern society, only the free could recline at dinner, only the redeemed. Because Every year, each Jewish family must recreate for themselves the Passover experience. Every generation must taste, quite literally, we have some food on the table, must taste the bitter oppression of slavery and must long to savour the sweetness of freedom. So, this here is a Seder plate, and if we were sitting down and having Passover together, a little bit of food, which we have represented here in the bowls, would be in each of these compartments, and these bits of food represent the story um, of Passover, So you can actually see on your brochures if you look inside what it looks like with the food. So I'm gonna talk us through what each of these things represents. So the first thing we have is carpus or greens, and we use parsley, and this represents life. So what we do with the with the parsley is we dip it into salt water. You guys be grateful you're not having to eat this. I don't know, those of you who had Passover with us last year will remember. This, yeah, it's not great. I was doing this at a church um, last weekend, and we were eating it together. I don't know how much salt they put in the thing. I didn't know if I could continue the talk. It was so salty. But anyway, we eat the greens with salt, and this represents the tears of life. And it reminds us that a life of slavery was a life full of tears. So the next thing on our Seder plate is the chazaret. And this is the root of a bitter herb. And we use onion to represent this. And it reminds us that the root of life was bitter for our ancestors in Egypt. The next thing on the Seder plate is maror, and this is the bitter herb itself. And we use horseradish. So again, you can be glad you don't have to eat this, because what you're supposed to do is take a big piece of matzah, dip it in the horseradish, and eat it. And you want to make sure it makes your eyes water, to remind you again of how sad life was for our ancestors in Egypt. By way of contrast, we have hariset, So this is chopped apple and honey and nuts and raisins, and this represents the mortar that our ancestors used in Egypt to make the bricks for Pharaoh. So you guys might be wondering, wait, why is something sweet used to represent slavery? I thought we were eating all the gross horseradish and salty water. Well, the rabbis explain it like this. They say that even the bitterest things in life can be made sweet by the hope of redemption. Amen. <laughs> now, the last two items on our Seder plate were added after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So we have a hagi This is a roasted egg. And this is used to represent temple sacrifices. And during the Seder, we cut it up, we dip it in salt water, and we eat it. And this, again, represents our tears over the destruction of the temple and that there are no longer any sacrifices. Now, the last thing on the Passover table is the Zoroah, and this is the shank bone of a lamb. Now, the lambs that were eaten at Passover were temple sacrifices. And as I just mentioned, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So, there are no longer any temple sacrifices. So, lamb is not normally eaten at Passover anymore. Though, I have to say, being from a Kiwi family, we still have lamb every year. And I, <laughs> when I saw this in the talk, I was like, oh no, we're breaking tradition. And I didn't have the heart to tell mum. So, the Bron family still has lamb every Passover, but it's not super traditional to have lamb at Passover anymore. Now, the presence and of the egg and the shank bone at our Passover table force us to ask an interesting question. So, they're they're tokens of grief. They're reminders of we don't have sacrifices anymore. We don't have the temple anymore. So, how now is it possible to atone for our sins? Well, the rabbis today say that forgiveness from sin comes three ways, through prayer, repentance, and good deeds. But the law of Moses states very clearly that forgiveness from sin can only come through the shedding of blood and that our good deeds can never save us. So in today's seders around the world, that question sort of goes unanswered and unresolved. Okay, so it's now time for the second cup, the cup of plagues. And in Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But in some senses, our joy is not complete. So what we do with the cup of plagues, we fill it up, and then we take our fingers and we put 10 drops of the juice on our plates as we recite the 10 plagues of Egypt. So, for example, this was juice, would go blood, frogs, etc. And as we do this, we take time to mourn for the Egyptians and feel sorrow for the destruction that they came under. And there's actually an important application for us in the second cup. Pharaoh hardened his heart against God, causing pain and destruction on those he loved. And living in a postmodern society, we often believe the lie that we can define our own truth and that our personal beliefs are exactly that, just personal. But in reality, when we don't obey God's leading in our lives, we can cause pain and destruction on everyone we love as well. So that's just a little application for us in the second cup. So after the second cup, we come to the Passover meal itself. And while the food around the world varies, there's one tradition that every family has. And this is setting a place setting for the prophet Elijah. So Why is this? Well, it's recorded by the Hebrew prophet Malachi that before the Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the prophet Elijah. So what each family does is they set an extra plate and cup. This is Elijah's cup here. We have a special one just for Elijah, a chair. And then a child is chosen to go to the door, or I actually don't know if it's specifically a child. In my family it was. And they open it up and see if the prophet Elijah is there. And if he is, we invite him in. He has dinner with us and then he announces that the Messiah is coming. And I remember as a kid being like, oh my goodness, is Elijah going to be on the other side of the door? Is he going to have dinner with us? Like I, wow. And then I was always a little disappointed and relieved when he wasn't there. But now we know that when Jesus spoke of his cousin, John the Baptist, he said, he is the Elijah who is to come. He was referring to this tradition. And he said, if you care um, about And upon seeing Jesus, the prophet John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. So if you remember a minute ago, we were saying like, Wait, we don't have sacrifices anymore. We don't have a temple. How can we now have atonement for sin? Well, the question of atonement has been answered, not through the blood of lambs, but through the blood of the Passover lamb, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And as believers in Messiah, this Passover story becomes our story. Because of the lamb of God, we can pass over from death to life, from mourning to feasting. Now, after a delicious dinner, we come to the high point of our entire ceremony, the third cup, the cup of redemption. But you guys remember earlier, something was broken and hidden and now needs to be found, the afikomen. So what happens now is the family has a treasure hunt, and all the children go and they find the afikomen, And the one that finds it gives it to the dad, and he redeems it, gives them a prize or some money. And then he takes it and he breaks it into small pieces and hands it around. And then everyone takes a small piece of matzah with the third cup. Does this look familiar to you guys? This is the origin of our communion service. And The rabbis taught that the afikomen serves as a symbolic reminder of the Passover lamb, which used to be the last thing eaten at the Passover meal. And at the most famous Passover meal of all time, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He took the unleavened bread. And the matzah um, can remind us of his body. So first of all, it's unleavened. It's sinless. Also, you can see that it is stripes. It has stripes down it. And um, speaking through the prophet um, Zechariah, they said, with his, no, it was the prophet Isaiah, with his stripes we are healed. You can also see that the matzah is pierced. And speaking through the prophet Zechariah, they said, they will look on me whom they have pierced. You can see there's holes in the matzah. So, the matzah can remind us of Jesus' body. Now, I can also see the gospel story not just suggested in the matzah, but also in the matzah tosh. This um, strange little compartment has three, the three compartment with three pieces of matzah in it. So, some teach that the matzah tosh represents the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that doesn't explain why the middle matzah is taken out, broken, buried, and then brought back. Others say that it represents the three divisions of worship, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. But again, why is the middle matzah taken out, broken, buried, and brought back? Well, the tradition of the matzah tosh has been lost in the Jewish community today. But there is another little-known tradition um, that has first-century roots. So there are three layers in there, and yet they form a unity, a tri-unity. And Jewish believers in Jesus know that the unity of the matzah tosh can point us to the unity of one God found in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why is the middle matzah taken out, broken, buried, and brought back? Well, I believe it's because Jesus was broken, buried, and came back. And it was speaking of the cup of redemption that our Messiah said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And this is the very new covenant that was promised by God when he said through the prophet Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, I will put my law within them, and on their hearts I will write it. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So the broken piece of Afikoman and the cup of redemption are taken together in remembrance of the body and the blood of the Passover lamb. Well, my Passover lamb and your Passover lamb is Jesus, and we're going to take communion together in a minute so you guys can remember this was the context that Jesus said, this was my body, this was my blood, because it it always represented the Passover lamb, and now he's saying, guys, you usually take this to remember the Passover lamb. Well, now I take it to remember me. I am the Passover lamb. It was all pointing to me, so I find that very exciting to remember. The fourth and the final cup, is the cup of halal or the cup of praise. And when we drink from this, we sing what is traditionally known as halal psalms. So these are psalms 113 to 118. And fun fact, in the Gospels it said that after dinner, Jesus and his disciples sang a a hymn and went to the garden. So they were probably singing one of the halal psalms. Now, Passover is a night of rejoicing. It's a night of thanksgiving. It's a night to praise God. And when we celebrate Passover together, we can thank God not only because my ancestors were redeemed from slavery to Pharaoh, but because we too, through our faith in Jesus, have been redeemed from slavery to sin and death. Now, the Passover story isn't quite over yet because my ancestors, the Jewish people, are still waiting for Messiah to return, gather the people in Israel, and celebrate the Passover there. So, it's tradition at the end of the Passover meal to say next year in Jerusalem. Well, we as believers in Jesus are waiting for him to return a second time and gather us in the new Jerusalem. So we can finish our Passover meal by saying next year in the new Jerusalem.